we can also start to question the things that say, oh, I'm feeling better now. I'm better now. I'm past that difficult time. That's just setting you up for the next difficult time. It's just a thought you're believing, right? So when you start to question everything or just see that all of the thoughts are distorting in nature, if they're believed, if they're not believed, they're just thoughts. If there's some identification, though, they're, every thought is distorting in nature, period. Okay, let's do some questions from our comments here. Comment section. Uh, interesting mic audio choice. Someone commented on my video um, <laughs> called You've Got This. Uh, and then someone else thought I was AI on that video, which isn't completely wrong. So what happened was I recorded it at very low volume on accident, like really low volume. Uh, and so I had to put it, run it through an AI uh, sound enhancer and it works, but it kind of screwed up some parts of the, of the transitions. So anyway, my voice is a little weird in that one, if you notice, but I am real, I promise. Someone here named John Alejandro says, for anyone who happens to stumble on this message, I want to remind you that everything is deeply okay. It's very sweet. Everything is deeply okay. Indeed. Doesn't feel like it all the time, does it? But then again, when we start thinking about what's okay, what's not okay, that's thought, yeah? The mind, once it's got a hold of you, it's never gonna feel good. It might feel good for a little while, then it comes around and kicks you, right? Flipping and flopping and flipping and flopping, believing and doubting, believing and doubting. I'm a good person, I'm a bad person, I'm a good person, I'm a bad person. Or just I'm a bad person all the time, so I'm not disappointed, but all of that. That's the game of thought. It's the game you just can't win. You can wake up from it or wake up from the identification with it or drop the identification with it. It can happen, but you won't win the game ever in that space. Once it's seen through, it is revealed that everything is deeply okay. This is Boundless John. It's just all so innocent. How could you ever be mad? This is from my video called You Got This. Yeah, it is. Everything is rather innocent in the final analysis. Even anger is innocent. Even doubt is innocent. Even confusion is innocent. Even a, a sort of attitude of... Um, Cynicism is innocent, ultimately. It's all innocent. So how do we find innocence? How do we tune into it? How do we recognize it? We stop complicating things. Stop insisting that the way we see the world is actually the way it should be or the way it could be. Rather, we just see what it is. And the senses are our friend here. We have five senses and all of those sense gates demonstrate an aspect of the whole, an aspect of uh, the innocent whole. Sound is innocent. Just notice it. 
feeling, sensation, innocent. Emotions are innocent. Thoughts are innocent. A couple of thank yous I got here. You're welcome. I don't really understand that comment, so I won't read that one. Someone here said, this is Caroline Bielby. I'm feeling, I guess, it's unsettled and a feeling of empty as I've tried to look into this. And it started more noticeable as my mom and dad are older and my dad diagnosed with dementia. I just feel everything I ever know will just disappear. I still have a family and three kids who are young, but can't shake off the feeling of losing my parents. I remember being young, about eight or nine, and realizing my parents won't live forever and feeling completely overwhelmed that people just die. And even growing up, I felt times like I wasn't even real myself. Hard to explain, but for me, there is a deep feeling of sadness, of things just coming and going. Yeah. Yep. The... Um, the experience of, of things coming and going, I might say appearances coming and going, uh, that primary experience is innocent, simple. It's not a problem. It's not, um, inherently dysphoric or inherently painful, not inherently, but very quickly the, our mind will extrapolate something from that, or it will overlay something upon it. And the, that which gets overlaid upon it is the system of beliefs that the way I imagine the world could be is the way it should be. Um, if we don't imagine anything other than this natural coming and going, this natural flux of appearance, then there will be no problem. It's when we imagine a past and a future, which again is very common when there's mind identification going on. But as that starts to break, you see that there's a stark difference between moments where we are buying into the past and buying into the future, buying into our narrative as regard the past and future, and moments when it's just not happening for whatever reason. It's not because we're controlling experience. It's just that overlay for whatever reason is subsiding. When it subsides, even if momentarily, then we experience eternity. We experience that which is not bound by time. And it is not inherently dysphoric. It's not inherently uncomfortable. It doesn't necessarily lead to suffering. It can lead to suffering, again, through interpretation, but only through interpretation. And we don't realize how much energy, how much will, how much insistence and stubbornness we put into those overlays expectations so much of this comes down to expectation why do we expect our parents to live forever why do we expect humans to live forever why do we expect animals to live forever when all of the evidence 100 percent of the evidence we have is to the contrary yet we think of it in a certain way that does make it feel like people are permanent bodies are permanent states of mind are permanent or could be like we can control that, right? We can make ourselves happy all the time. We can make ourselves get what we want all the time. Like all of the evidence is to the contrary. 
if you just pay attention <laughs> that the universe doesn't bend over to give us what we want or bend over backwards to give us what we want life doesn't bend over backwards to give us what we want in fact it doesn't even notice the dream of me and my needs and my wants and what i'm lacking what i need to feel better um, all of that the whole world is is really an internal dream we talk about the dream sometimes or some people do in spirituality that's the dream we're trying to dream ourselves into staying in existence when we never were in existence in the way we're thinking about it and it re exerts so much energy and at some point often when you look closely enough repeatedly enough at what's actually happening in here or here or here all of a sudden um we realize how much effort it takes and we just stop exerting the effort and then we stop long enough. <laughs> we stop pushing the mind with our will long enough to suddenly reacclimatize to that which is not in time. And that's a very, very powerful realization. Very powerful. So what does it take for that to happen? Well, I've talked about it in my videos. Sometimes it takes disruption, tragedy. Um, disruption isn't necessarily always tragedy, but tragedy is a major form of disruption. Any form of disruption is, in the way I'm speaking about it, is defined by your expectations being dashed. Whether they were expectations you knew you were holding or expectations you didn't know you were holding. And often that second case is the, the type of uh, discomfort that this person's talking about, where it's like, you know, we grew up with the parents, we grew up with the environment, we grew up with a certain kind of safety or whatever we grew up with, we just assume it's going to stay there. Um, but it, it never did stay there. We, the developmental stages when we formed that apparent identity are gone. They're already dead. You're already dead. Your parents are already dead in that way. I know this sounds morbid, but the truth of it is the forms of yourself and your parents and your lover and the world that, that you're trying to hold on to are already dead. That's why it's uncomfortable. Suffering is uncomfortable when we don't see clearly what it is. When we see clearly what it is, it stops being uncomfortable because we stop seeing what's not. Seeing what's not is what's uncomfortable. Trying to, again, hold together this reality that simply doesn't exist. And insisting that it does, that's what's uncomfortable. This is Buddhism. This is the gist of Buddhism. Ignorance. Ignorance of, um, <laughs> for lack of, this is a terrible way to say it, but the way things are. <laughs> uh, the simple truth of the unborn, which you arrive to by seeing what's not there. Duality, view, inherent view, time, space, self, all of it. And it seems like this big loss at times, but only through one lens, only through the lens of that illusory separate self. That's what makes it feel uncomfortable. So again, it's us trying to play the magic trick on ourselves again and again to make ourselves believe something we know isn't true. That's what's uncomfortable. We're the magician, we're the audience, 
and the joke is on us, but we're also creating the joke and trying to tell it to ourselves again and again when we've seen through it. That's what this is. So at some point you'll stop doing it. You'll realize things are just fine without anything being other than it is. Things are just fine without our belief system being overlaid upon reality. I'm not picking on this person in particular. This is across the board. This Everybody who moves through this process goes through this. And a lot of it is really just about being willing to see what's really happening and not trying to keep a strong hold on what you know isn't happening. Don't willingly, don't willingly go unconscious. The best you can probably do is don't willingly go unconscious. Unconsciousness has a momentum to it. So it's not like you can snap your fingers and never go unconscious, but you can learn to recognize when you're willing, willingly doing it and stop. Okay. Uh, let's see. User 1C8XB1 dot, 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 dot said, and most times it feels like a complete waste of time with all this effort a akin to sitting around waiting for Jesus to return delusional. All this uh, sitting around in silence, being still waiting to be freely alive and what I already am, apparently. Is what they said. Waiting to be what you already are. Do you see it? Like, do you see it? That has to be uncomfortable. It's not my fault it's uncomfortable. It's not Jesus's fault. It's not any non-duality teacher's fault. It's not a book's fault. It's not your senses fault for showing it to you. It's not your mind's fault for actually being able to discern it in various ways as well. It's really no one's fault. But to the degree that we put effort into trying to get somewhere that we already are, trying to be some something that essentially we're not, um, <clears throat> trying to recreate an illusion because it worked before and it felt good before, even though we've now seen through it, it worked good for a period of time until it didn't, right? And now we've seen through it, but trying to insist that, ah, it's, it's actually the case, um, that will stop at some point because it's inherently uncomfortable and it's, it's inherently diluted, right? to sit and try to be something you already are. Waiting, waiting, right? What can you do if you don't wait? What can you do instead of waiting right now? Sitting is just sitting. Waiting is a whole different thing, right? Sitting doesn't imply anything, really. You're just sitting, that's it. Waiting implies a whole lot. It implies that somehow you can keep yourself or some thread of something solid intact through a thing called time, which doesn't exist. So there's already a lot of assumptions built in and it's already going to be uncomfortable. But waiting for something in the future that you already know, or at least some part of you knows is already here. Well, of course that's going to be uncomfortable, right? <clears throat> and at the same time, this is the whole spiritual endeavor, right? We go on the journey. <laughs> Um, we start out on the journey, or at least we sure feel like we start out on a journey. We start to do the work. We start to inquire. We start to have discoveries and we start to have shifts in experience and even shifts in identity. And at some point it does become very obvious that really there's nowhere to go to discover anything that's going to make you feel better or whole or different than this. Um, but it's a paradox because that's a very different place than where you left from, uh, experientially. 
But the only difference, again, is the habit of trying to reconstruct a delusion over and over and over is broken. When the habit's broken, <clears throat> natural clarity presents itself simply, effortlessly. And natural clarity, you wouldn't trade it for anything. No way. Someone said, imagine a world with every living being being enlightened. No more non-duality content because everybody gets it. <clears throat> that would be pretty wild, wouldn't it? I think a lot more people can be enlightened. I mean, I know pretty much everyone has the potential for it. It doesn't mean they're going to. That, that would be naive to think that. Um, but more and more seem to be waking up because I think largely more and more are realizing it's an actual possibility. I think that's the biggest barrier to this whole thing. Well, it's the biggest barrier to get getting the ball rolling to first awakening and, and so forth. It really is just not really knowing it's a thing. Or thinking that what we're talking about when we talk about awakening is some spiritual um, paradigm, a way of thinking about things that's spiritual, a way of looking at the world that's more spiritual, it feels more spiritual, um, or it's that thing that that guy has or that woman has that I don't have, right? Those beliefs, those are the barrier. When I try to break through the barrier, I try to sort of point in a way that can bring about recognition, a taste of something direct, a direct transmission. That's the whole point. But once you get that, it's a different experience, right? You can see there is something here. Um, it's always been here. And yet, this is where you get into that that uncomfortable discord, right? Where you know, now you know it's here. Now you know it's the truth. At the same time, you're going through some intense emotions, doubt, some mind identification remaining, of course. That's where you get this comment I got up here. Um, and I, I empathize. I understand that. Like we all have gone through that, uh, but that's, that's the major discord, but you have to have that. And it's, that's skillful actually, in a way, not, it's not your skill set, but it's, it's lawful. It's how this goes. You have to feel that friction between what is directly realized and what is habitually, um, constructed as an illusion that's getting in the way of you just dissolving into it for lack of a better way of saying it. So that discord is beautiful but it's painful right it's called suffering it's called unsatisfactoriness but it's your best friend if you just keep being willing to look closely look more closely and being willing to feel so much of this comes down to feel sensation the sensation field remain there and see what happens thank you brother your passion and compassion is all that is needed here knowing this i wish all of us understanding of the love that is around us. Energy, wordless awareness, taking us home. Beautiful. Love it. I love the compassion. I love the compassion on this channel of, of the follow, of the viewers and the subscribers and the members, uh, followers of the channel. Awesome. Like I, I'm just blown away again and again and again by the sincerity, honesty, forthrightness. It's just awesome. Amazing. Someone said I'm like the red pill in the matrix. <laughs> Following, I don't feel like it. Doesn't it feel like anything special? At the same time, people tell me that they shift and I experience it with them when I'm like interacting with them, they're going through it. So I can tell something's happening, but it doesn't feel like a transmission from here to there because there is no here and there. So when the experience isn't of a here and there, a before and an after, 
uh, a me and a you, when that experience isn't here, then who knows why things happen the way they do? They just do or don't. So this could not be happening and it would be the same to me. There's no differentiation there. There's no specialness to anything, including awakening. It's it, it's even hard to differentiate awakening from not awakening unless I'm sort of called to do it in the moment because someone asks a question or it's relevant, something like that. But often, or most of the time, it's there doesn't come up. I don't have a feeling of like looking at people out there going, that person's awake, that one's not, because the experience isn't really of that at all. The experience is of something that doesn't have an in here and an out there. It doesn't have a self and another. It doesn't have a before awakening and an after awakening. All of those are relegated to the illusion of self and other, of duality. So when that's that illusion is seen through, then none of this stuff comes up. So when people praise me, that's fine. I, I'm fine with it. I'm happy for someone to show sincere gratitude for anything, for anyone, to their own children, to their spouse, to the sky, to nature, you know, to life, to me, to you, to anyone else. That's great. It's wonderful to to see people expressing gratitude. It's one of the best ways you can move through life, right? Uh, but it's not about me. It's not per it doesn't feel personal in the least, which is interesting. But I also do like the, I like feedback in that I can tell often what works for people and what doesn't. And so I do like it. I also forget because I can make videos and be completely with that moment, but I, there's no way to connect it to any experience of someone else until the comments come and someone says, oh, this helped me realize this, or I caught, you know, I had a shift reading your book or something. When I hear that, um, I'm like, good. The feedback is helpful to know that this is something valuable because it's easy for me to forget that because nothing is more valuable than anything else. That's true. Um, so yeah, that's the deal with the praise, I guess. Okay. Someone said, uh, oh, this is a really long one. I'm going to move on because I don't have time to do that one right now. Samsara is Nirvana. Is that what you were saying here? In this video, I think I did pretty much say that. The one called You've Got This. <laughs> I've been saying it here as well. Samsara is Nirvana. Suffering is enlightenment. Suffering is enlightenment. Then I get comments that are really bizarre. I don't know, I even know what they mean. Don't overcook it. Oh, don't overlook it because it is boring. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a common one. Oh yeah, I can I can get to consciousness and I can get to a place of awareness or being aware of awareness or headlessness. But then, then it gets boring, right? The mind is so sneaky. Identity is sneaky, right? Because you can identify with being bored, right? Oh, I'm bored. <laughs> so loaded with other beliefs, right? Um, and the key with that is it feels familiar. When it feels familiar, you'll believe the thought. It won't feel like you're thinking. It will feel like you're defining reality by your thought. <laughs> but you don't even know it's a thought. Yeah, that's that's to be really identified. So, no, I am bored, for real. Oh, are you? First of all, investigate what you are, then find out if you're, you're something that could be bored or not. Find out what bored, bored, bored even means. Like, what actually is it? If you zoom in to the experience, the emotion, the feeling, or the thought, what do you actually find? 
Pam. Pam said, whoo. I can't do a Texas accent. And when it rains, it pours. My mind cannot have handled all this. <laughs> all right. I think it's finally happened, someone says. I don't know what they mean. Awakening, maybe? I don't know. There is some anxiety, though. Does it last long? Feels weird. I don't know. When someone has an awakening, the way I define it, a shift in identity, rarely is there, not that I can think of, that you'd have anxiety right right then. It's it's usually a very paradoxical experience and a pretty relieving experience and a, and a sort of surprising experience. But anxiety, not so much. Uh, you may start to get it over time as the as the honeymoon period fades, as the perfume of awakening sort of dissipates a little bit. Um, more accurately, the momentum of thought and identifying, um, which had subsided for a bit, start, starts to rev back up. Now your job is different. And now your job is, well, there are a couple ways to look at this, but in one sense, I could say your job isn't to just sit and steep in it, in the, in the presence that you've realized. Now the job is more to be mindful of what it is that's getting in the way of it. So that comes into some form of inquiry. And there's all kinds of ways to do inquiry. Um, you can do it intuitively. You can do it as a technique. You can do it with somebody. You can do it by yourself. You can inquire into emotion, into, into belief. I talk about all this stuff. And there's no exact formula. Your formula is the exact formula. Some would say doing nothing, doing nothing, realizing there's no doer. Although most of the people that I know of that say that actually did quite a bit of inquiry of one form or another. So take that as you will. Oh, here we go. Holy shoot, Angelo is AI. I'm a little freaked out. He says it with a nervous chuckle. I'm not actually AI. I, pro I, pro I, pro I, pro I promise I'm not AI. Exactly how I felt today and what I needed. Thank you. You're very welcome. Madam Desert. That's a cool... No, no. Madam Desert. Better. Okay. Ashley. I like to see Ashley's comments. She said, just what I need today. My thoughts lately. It's been nuts. And like a lot of having to say, but why or how would that thing happening make the situation better? I'm basically at a point where I'm questioning absolutely everything. That's really good. It's really good because we want to question the uncomfortable things or the the doubts and things like that. And once we get better at that, that's great. But then we can also start to question the things that say, oh, I'm feeling better now. I'm better now. I've, I've gotten better. I've, you know. Oh, I'm out. I'm past that difficult time. That's just setting you up for the next difficult time. It's just a thought you're believing, right? So when you start to question everything or just see that all of the thoughts are distorting in nature, if they're believed, if they're not believed, they're just thoughts. If there's some identification though, they're, every thought is distorting in nature, period. No way out of that. To some degree. Thank you for your comment, Ashley. Okay, someone here said, Brian Schultz, 7320. I really like the 7320 version better than the 7319 version. They're very similar, but the 7320 version um, just has better punctuation, does more complete sentences. So I, I do appreciate that. Um, I would Anyone who hasn't updated their uh, Brian Schultz yet, I would definitely update. Okay. In all seriousness, Brian said, in my experience, practice is most effective when working with the body and mind. I like it so far. Simply put, practice can be described as unbinding identity from thought. Very true. 
while simultaneously relaxing all tension and contraction in the body. True. That's all good. Yep. Uh, but just know you can't necessarily choose to do that right now every single time. There'll be times when there's contraction and tension in the body that's you can't just relax because you want to. You know, you can try. You can actually put your tension, okay, can I just sort of relax? And there are some very, very deeply ingrained trauma structures and, and contractions and um, energetic contractions in the body that can be div quite difficult to dissolve just on command. It can take, take some time, take some realization, take some relational work, energy work. So I generally agree with this, but just know it's not always, it's not always easy, as easy done as it is said. Uh, these two go hand in hand. When the body is settled and the breath is settled down in the navel, the mind slows down too and is much easier to unbind from thought. Okay, so the, the navel thing, um, if it works for you, great. And it's it's a very, very common teaching. It's an ancient teaching. Following the breath is another very common and ancient teaching. It's often where you start in Zen. Um, but I will tell you, for me, none of that stuff ever worked. It just didn't work for me. My, I, I guess my mind was just too... I had to go after the mind in a very, very direct way. Not the body, not the breath. I had to break the spell of mind identification very directly because I, I couldn't keep, I, I didn't know it then, but I couldn't keep my attention in my body long enough to even notice anything. Following the breath, like no way. I, and I probably thought I was. And a lot of people do that. They think they're feeling, they think they're noticing the breath or following it directly. And then they have a you know an opening and another opening and another opening and then they're like wow now I'm really feeling I didn't I thought I was before but now I really am so there's a lot of layers of habit that keep us not so directly connected to these experiences yeah um, but this person sounds like they're talking from experience which is which is great and so once you can do that awesome wherever you can and the tension in the body like you know the the hara or near the navel all of those things if it works great it, it, but if if your attention's called into your chest go there. If it's called in your throat, just behind your eyes, if the whole body feels like a contraction or it's in your left hand or arm or in your foot or in your groin, that's fine too. Yeah. So I, I really try not to put too much of a rigid framework on how this works. Like here's how it always works, right? Um, I really try not to do that. Anyone who follows this channel knows that just because the simple truth is I've watched so many people wake up in so many different ways. So if there's one framework, it's your framework. It's your intuition that's going to drive this but it's helpful to dial into what intuition actually is and not keep taking thoughts for intuition yeah so these are all good pointers but there's no exact map of course at this point attention seems to bounce from sensation to sensation very interesting oh sorry so then he said um we identify with sensations of the body very true uh it's roughly located behind the eyes or somewhere in the head that is true for a lot of people but not everyone as well um, attention seems to bounce from sensation to sensation. Yep. Lastly, and at some point it's, it's more like with non-dual realization, instead of attention bouncing, it's just that the, the non-dual appearances are self-appearing out of nowhere, out of not even space. And it feels really cool. Okay. Lastly, I'll add genuine curiosity can really feel this practice, really looking into what is the nature of the one who is constantly judging life, labeling life, pushing and pulling on life. <clears throat> good. That's a very good way to look at, look for identity, specifically when you're talking about reactivity. Is it a sensation? Is it a thought? What is it? The orientation and curiosity can allow the sense fields, body sensations to show up as, oh, show us the way. Much different from living purely in thought. Totally. As a top-heavy person, 
this exploration is quite fascinating and deeply peaceful and settled. Awesome. So this is someone who has a lot of experience in this space and a lot of realization, I'm guessing. So there's some good advice there for sure. Thank you for your care, com care and compassion from Omar Mies. Omar Mies. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you, Angelo. You're welcome, Kyle. Why don't I have a psychedelic shirt on this in this video? Well, sometimes I, it's in hoodie season. It's been really cold here in Colorado up until a couple days ago. It was like below zero Fahrenheit. So I've been wearing hoodies. But I still have a lot of shirts, uh, T-shirts with logos and stuff. They're not all psychedelic, though. They're just cool. Okay, here we go. I'm very much acquainted with my feelings. Shame, jealousy, rage, peace, joy. I can't not feel them. Okay. But since retreat, my mind is going crazy with thoughts. Thoughts I used to be able to drop into the space. Uh, not at the moment. Not ATM. Not at the moment. Arg. Yeah. Retreat tends to do that. And like I said a couple comments ago, we go through these these shifts, these breakthroughs where it's like, oh man, now I'm really feeling everything more clearly than I was. And there, that can be to your chagrin, like, oh my God, I'm feeling fear so fully now. I'm feeling shame so fully. And also just sensations. Wow, so everything's so close, so intimate. Um, and then you can have another shift later and it's even more intimate. This happens like multiple times for a lot of people. So um, the, inter the intermediate steps are often, yeah, you go to a retreat and sit for a long, long time. You stir the pot, um, so to speak, and it takes a while for everything you stirred up to settle. Uh, that's the value of retreat, but it's also the, the pain of retreat. It does, it does tend to do that, but it's never bad news. If, if, you, if you're like, oh, I've been, in, I've been in relative equanimity for months or years and I go to retreat and all of a sudden a lot of stuff is stirred up, some, you know, some anxiety, some angst, emotions I haven't recognized, a lot of thoughts. Um, which is some kind of resistance pattern, probably not that you're doing it on purpose. It's just there and it's been coming to the surface into consciousness. That's good news. None of that's new. The retreat didn't, it's not like you went to the retreat and someone walked up and handed you a bundle of trauma. It's already there. The retreat is just releasing it into consciousness. Sometimes it releases so much that it's pretty difficult after retreat. It can be for sure, energetically, emotionally, and sometimes mentally. Um, but it's always good in the end. Just can take some time to integrate all that, especially a powerful or deep kind of retreat, like a retreat with a lot of deep samadhi for days can definitely do that. Oh, beautiful. Watching into, someone said, this is ignorant slave, 663. <laughs> um, watching into nowhere and everything in the same time. Animals always can do that. It's true. Oh, they're talking about this little picture I have of Kimura up here with myself. Feels like an endless path. It does. It's more like an endless path than a finite path. It's more like a, I don't know, um, kaleidoscopic path than it is a linear path or a um, finite path. It's, 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 it's the thing I like to say about inquiry where when you first do inquiry, it's going to feel heavy. It's going to feel like doership. It's going to feel intellectual. It's going to be frustrating and you're always going to expect an answer. You're going to want an answer. You're going to look for an answer. You're going to project an answer into the future. Then that future is going to be your awakening. And over time, that's that it gets exhausting to do that. And you start looking more directly. And the more directly you look, the more the inquiry starts to feel natural, starts to feel right here. 
starts to feel eternal, right? Then it's just this inquiry that's always there, just this curiosity that's always here. So inquiry doesn't have to end. Okay. Then someone someone called Tiny World Laboratory. Maybe sometime I'll just read just the roasting comments because they're sometimes funny. All I say is if you're going to be a um if you're going to do roasts or you're going to um be like a what do you call it? Uh troll, at least be funny. That's all I that's what I ask, right? That's my prerequisite. It's like if you're going to be a troll, at least call it something funny. Take a few minutes to think through what you're trying to say or use chat GPT, right? Um, one guy I thought was funny, but I think he went away because I think he was trying to troll me and Josh and he was saying things like, he, he said, I look like the assistant manager at Taco Bell. <laughs> and I liked it. I thought it was funny. And so I kept giving him positive feedback on, on his comments. And then Josh was doing the same and all of a sudden he just disappeared. So I think we gave him the opposite of what he was looking for. Um, and that it, it like messed up his system somehow, like it put him on tilt. So uh, I guess we were supposed to be upset about it, but it was really funny. So. I would like to invite him back at any time if he's out there listening. Uh, so this one just said, I don't like that stupid looking panda. Just kidding. I'm just jealous of his glasses. I don't even know what video that was. I don't even know what they're talking about. What to do about annoyance. That was so long ago, I can't remember. Oh, I was wearing a panda t-shirt. And then the video I talk about when people get annoyed with like my shirts and my hair or their music. It's a good video, by the way. If anyone's interested, it's called What to Do About Annoyance. And it's really good. I use the example of myself and the comments I get on my channel, but I do point out directly like annoyance is a really good thing to look into because it's such a common thing. Annoyance, impatience, and like irritability, they're they're like so they're like blanket emotions. And for some people, it's the it's all they feel like or they seem to just have it all day long, right? Um, but they're they're gold mines because they're just so readily available. You don't have to be in deep samadhi to feel frustrated. <laughs> You just have to believe your thoughts for a minute, right? Uh, but anyway, that video talks about it if you're interested. Someone said, I love you. I just don't know why. I must be lovable. This is an interesting one. I hadn't heard this before. Someone said, I would suggest people who lean heavily toward rational thinking to incorporate analytical meditations into their practice, such as the sevenfold reasoning to negate the self, as described by Rob Berbea's book. Um, Rob Berbea's book, I've heard... I've not read it, but I've heard people I really trust give it very good reviews. Um, I can't think of the name of it right now. <laughs> you could obviously look it up, Burbea, B-U-R-B-E-A. A powerful tool that leads to the same exact realization of self-inquiry. Um, the uh, Nagarjuna or Nagarjuna, um, the MMK, that's another ancient text that it, it does approach this from a from a, a sort of rational deconstructionist analytical approach thank you for your comment someone commented uh this is kind of sad this is the same one that made a funny comment up here um they said for me it's that i'm a loser and the only one who gets any pleasure out of anything i do well first of all that doesn't make you a loser it makes you normal like who most people aren't going to get pleasure out of what you do. Maybe some people will if you do it well enough, right? But like generally speaking, if if you're looking at your own agendas in your mind and the way your mind is looking at life, it's going to be self-centered. That's just how our minds function. You can't really look through thoughts in a different way than that. So there's no reason to beat yourself up about it, really. When you see like, oh yeah, I'm just totally self-motivated. 
I manipulate people. I try to manipulate people all the time to either like me or believe me or, right? When you see that that's what the mind space, the mind function is doing all day long, and to the degree we're identified with it, we'll go along with it with behaviors. That's just that's just good insight to see that. If you don't see it, if you believe something else, you may just be deluding yourself, right? But so to see that we have, certainly the thoughts are going to have very selfish motivations. <laughs> um, that's normal. Yeah. So it doesn't mean you're a loser. Um, and you said, I kind of hate to admit that. It's good to it. It's good. I mean, anything that's true, any thought you observe, it's already happened. You didn't choose that thought. You didn't make it happen. It's not about you. It can be very um, liberating to start to recognize your thoughts as thoughts and not judge them. And even speak them aloud to the degree you can without getting arrested <laughs> or getting in a fight. But um, recognizing, oh, this is the thought I'm having. That's a silly thought. Okay. I didn't create that thought. It just came and went. What's the next one? Let's go. Emotions are the same way. Except emotions, you, you have a much more direct con contact with the root of, mo of emotion, which is sensation. So start with thought and then down into emotion. Um, that's it. Reacquaint yourself with yourself. Someone said, this is officially my favorite video on the internet. Okay, let's see what it is. Two ways of experiencing reality. Which do you prefer? I actually remember that video and I thought it was a fun one to make. Okay, that's it. Just thought I would ask, uh, answer some questions. Uh, maybe I'll do this periodically because I do see all these questions and sometimes I have time to answer some of them. Sometimes I don't anymore, but I can always answer them this way. Um, cool. All right, y'all. See you soon.